around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Hello, friends. David Langford here today. We'd like to welcome you. And as always, we greet you in the most holy name of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. I pray that you have been touched somehow, some way today. And I know if you bothered to take the time to pray that God has touched your heart and touched your life already. I do want to make mention of our revival meeting this coming September the 30th through October the 3rd at Heritage USA Fort Mill, South Carolina. I'll be speaking, Russ Dizdar, Jimmy D. Smith, Paul Jacobs. So far, the restoration has been somewhat slow, but if we don't have but 10 people show up, we're still going to have it. We're going to be there. I'm going to do my best to build the kingdom of God. I'm going to do my best to do what is right. Gideon only had 30,000 when he started out, only 30,000. But God called that thing down to 300. That would kill these megachurches to lose 29,700 members and be left with 300. But the 300 that Gideon was left with were 300 servants of the Most High God. Little as much when God is in it. And I believe we should never resent the small things of God. Who hath despised the day of small beginnings? Let God do what he's going to do. Listen, when God's moving and God is manifesting himself, I want to be in the midst of God. I pray that yesterday the program spoke volumes to your heart concerning the faithfulness of God concerning the faithfulness of God. No matter where you may find yourself, no matter how difficult, no matter how arduous your life might be, trust God. God is faithful. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful, and he truly is. Now, most of us, like myself, I, I'm in that boat. I think he's always late. But I have to remind myself, I did not send a resume, request, or petition God for what I'm doing. God called me to do this. Years ago, someone was very, very, very critical of me. Of course, people still are very critical of me. But he was very arrogant and boisterous and said, you're the one that chose this platform. You did this and you did that. I said, no, this all began by a telephone call. The first time I heard Steve Quell in 1994, which is what, 27 years ago, I just called in to ask a question. But after I got on the phone with Steve, he said, don't hang up. I want to talk to you for a minute. There's something different about you. So he began to pick and pull, and I began to open up, finally admitted I was a pastor, and I had changed my eschatology from pre-trib to post-trib, and we probably spoke for 30 minutes. 
Then after I hung up, the people who phoned in following my call said, hey, get that guy back on. We want to hear what he's got to say. And I'm like, huh? You want to hear what I've got to say? So Steve said, call me tomorrow at my office. Let's talk. And, of course, I was coming on very frequently with Steve's program, and then I went out to Bozeman, Montana, to hold a prophecy conference, and it was there he asked me to guest host every Monday for him. And then it turned into every Tuesday. And then he ultimately said, would you guest host the whole week? I said, I can't guest host five days a week, three hours a day, and pastor my church. That's why we have the format we have today, Mondays and Tuesdays. I've stayed with that, though we now do television, we do uh, YouTube and things like that. That's how it started. So when people criticize me and say, you chose this venue, no, the venue chose me. The venue chose me. Better yet, that's God's choice. Let God do it. I said, let God do it. And when God does it, no matter what anyone says, it will be blessed because God's fingerprint is on the work. God's handprint is on the work because he is the author and the finisher of that. I do, as I said, hope many of you were encouraged yesterday. Your faith was built up. You were edified. People need to be edified today. Too much negativity. I find myself many times, everything that I hear, every letter I read, every email I read, every phone call I get can be negative, negative, negative. That don't work but for so long. You got to get back into God's presence and understand the Lord is still with you. I want to play a song today by the Isaacs. It is entitled, I've Come to Take You Home. I pray the words of this song will speak immense to your heart and to your life. Amen. As he sent his children to extend his mercy So they journeyed down the old path That led to much destruction All the while their loving hearts were hurting Their hope was crushed inside As their compassion was denied the woman they so love seemed like a stranger, heartbroken and alone. They took that long road home, for sin now reigned, and hope seemed gone to change her. One day the word was told. Some slaves were being sold A restless love sent Hosea seeking One by one they brought them in So beaten down with sin Within his chest his anxious heart was beating But all at once she caught his eye And from his lips the
that same place Bound by sin, a broken slave And from the depths of my despair I prayed for mercy I heard his word, the price was paid On the cross for you that day Take my hand now, child And welcome to the family How true, God has come to take his children home. One way or the other, we're going to be removed. Whether it's through the second advent of Christ or by the way of the grave, we're going to go be with Jesus. And wherever he is will be heaven. But he's coming back to the earth to set up a millennial 1,000-year reign and kingdom in the earth, and of his government there shall be no end. <laughs> oh, I sometimes get a little carnally minded and I think about looking at Kamala Harris at the great white throne judgment if she doesn't repent, and Joe Biden and Barack Obama and Hillary and Bill, Hunter, all these people, hypocrites like McConnell, Mitch, what are they going to say? What are they going to say in that day? Lord, we weren't that bad. We did a lot of good things. We even cast out devils in your name, prophesied in your name. Wow, to think there are those who profess they are prophets and who prophesy, and yet God says, I never knew you. I never, never knew you. So sad. So sad. And all men have to do now is just humble themselves and repent. You see, in this generation, that is asking overwhelmingly too much to ask. Me repent? Me have remorse for my sin and my, my crooked ways, my cheating and my lying and my stealing, my embezzling, my fraud? Me say I'm sorry for that? And God forbid preachers stand at the great white throne judgment because they were afraid to preach against sin. 
the enormity of the blood on the hands of preachers is going to be off the charts. Not only preachers, but talk show hosts who say they too are Christians. But they're not. They use the word Christian to trick you. Remember, no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed into the ministers of righteousness, whose end is according to their works. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. They're going to say, hey, <laughs> yeah, Jesus is the Lord. Many shall come in my name. Now, I want to I I I emphasize that just for a moment. Minute, I'll get it out of my mouth. Minute. Matthew 24, verse 5, Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Notice what he says. He didn't say they were preachers. He didn't say they were prophets. didn't say they were teachers. He said, just many shall come in my name or the power of my name or tell you they are Christian. And they'll say, yes, Jesus is, is, is Christ. And shall deceive many. And verse 4, Matthew 24, 4, take heed that no man. You don't have to be a preacher for somebody to deceive you. You don't have to be a minister for somebody to deceive you. It can be your neighbor. It can be your friend. It can be someone you listen to on radio or television. And they're deceiving you. I watched a man the other day. I was stunned. I was shocked. I was overwhelmed. He said there's going to be a second opportunity for salvation at the great white throne judgment. I thought, my God, are you? why would you lie to people to that degree? Why? How? We see no record of anyone being saved at the great white throne judgment. Why would Christ say in verse 6 of chapter 20, same chapter, but in verse 6, he said, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. If you're in the second resurrection, death has power over you. You'll die again and go to lake of fire. Death and hell will give up the dead. You will be resurrected. You will die again. A spiritual life, go straight to the lake of fire. And death and hell will then be cast into the lake of fire. So Jesus said, you're blessed, you're holy, if you have part in the first resurrection. So how can people get saved in the second resurrection? But this man was teaching that heresy. Another chance? Read the parables in Matthew chapter 13, the wheat, the tares, the vessels, the net. You don't see two opportunities, folks, just one. Jesus told us clearly there in, uh, in Luke, there were two men. There was Lazarus, the poor man. Lazarus, the rich man. Luke 16, the rich man, the poor man. Both died. One went to Abraham's bosom. The other went to hell. You don't see a second chance. 
Oh, let me, let me go. Let me go to my brethren and tell them this place is real. Jesus said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they won't believe them, they won't believe you, though you be raised from the dead. Now, that rich man in hell will be raised from the dead, stand before God at the great white throne judgment, and then be sentenced to eternal separation from God. See, people who go to hell right now, that's a temporal separation. They'll be brought back before God, stand before the great white throne judgment, and then they'll have that eternal separation. Yet this man says there's going to be a second chance at the great white throne judgment. So what he's saying to people was this, live like hell. Drink, curse, swear, commit adultery, fornicate, sodomize, do any and everything you want to do. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you'll spend uh, a, a thousand years in hell or whenever you went to hell, plus the thousand years. But you went to hell in the 16th century, so okay. You've been there 300, add another thousand. You've been there 1,300 years. But you get out in the end. You get a get-out-of-jail-free card. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's heresy. That's fallacy. But that's what men are doing. I thought, you're damning souls, sir. You're damning souls. He doesn't see it. Why does he not see that? He's deceived. <laughs> he's, 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 he's a purveyor of something that the Word of God does not teach. Remember, you're blessed, you're holy to have part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power. If you're not in the first resurrection, death will have power over you again. So blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power. We left off last Tuesday, not yesterday. Yesterday we talked about God's faithfulness. But last Tuesday we left off from Romans 6, verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but under grace. And I was closing out. Last Tuesday, a week ago today, actually today's the eighth day from last Tuesday, about how that Moses could not take Israel into the promised land. It took Joshua or Yahshua. You see, the law could not get them into the promised land, just like the law cannot get you into heaven. It takes grace. Thus Jesus said in John 1, 17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You see, Moses was a, 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 a faction, a dispensation of the law. He let him see the promised land, but said you can't go in. Because the law can't do that in what the law cannot do. Romans 8, verse 3, in what the law cannot do. There are some things the law can't do, and one of them is save you. So God brought in the dispensation of grace. Now I want to elaborate just for a moment about all the people who want to keep the law. You keep the Sabbath. You don't want to eat pork chops. You don't want to eat shrimp or a nice big old buttery lobster. Maybe I shouldn't have put the words buttery on that, but it sure tastes good with all that butter on it, doesn't it? You see, that's legalism. 
That's law. We're not living under that. We're not to embrace that. Now, we, we may not like this, but that was the vision, that was the revelation that God gave Peter in Acts chapter 10 regarding the Gentiles, mainly Cornelius and his household. So Peter has this vision repeated to him three times, three times. And what does he see? He sees four-footed beasts of the earth. He sees wild beasts, creeping things, and fowls of the air. That's you and me. We are either a wild beast, a creeping thing, or a fowl of the air. Some of us may have been buzzards or crows. Some of us could have been a worm, a creeping thing, caterpillar, the stuff that you don't eat. I might have been a creeping thing. But the voice said, Peter, kill and eat. Oh, Lord, no, 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 no. I've not put anything common or unclean in my, my vessel. So he repeats the vision again, second time. What God hath cleansed, that call no man common. Happens again third time. Why? God is indelibly trying to impress upon Peter's conscience, hey, I'm going to save Gentiles. Yes, they may be creeping things. They may be a, a buzzard. They may be a crow. You know, they may be a jaybird. But they're mine. And I'm going to wash them in my blood. And, and so when people really get a revelation of the work of Christ on the cross, God saves all of us by the same method. That's the blood of the Lamb, nothing else. And what happens to modern Christians who have been denominationalized, not marginalized, but denominationalized, they somehow get it ingrained in their mind. I still have to do something to help me to get saved. Uh, in Acts, the Bible says that Paul was at Corinth. He was, he was there passing through Corinth. And he preached the word to the Corinthians. And the Bible said that the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. That's Acts chapter 18. I think it's about uh, verse 8 or 9, somewhere down through there as, as you begin to read. But the Bible is clear here in Acts 18 that Paul was at Corinth. And so Paul, he, you know, he tells you there in 1 Corinthians, the first letter, just how vile and wicked the Corinthian people were. They were just, oh, they were so evil, so evil. So... Paul says in Acts 18, while he's at Corinth, that the Corinthians heard, they believed, and were baptized. You see, you see the protocol? You got to hear the gospel. You either believe it or you don't. If you believe it, 
then you go on and get baptized. To believe means you're redeemed, you're saved, you're forgiven. You believe in the finished work of Christ. Then you get baptized. So that's, that's the simplicity of the protocol. You hear it, you believe it, you get baptized. But because people have been denominationalized, they many times will swap one set of legalistic manners and works for just another. You got people who think, I'm keeping the Sabbath. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something right. I'm doing something godly. Okay, the Catholic Church changed to the Gregorian calendar, so the Sabbath you're keeping was established by the Catholic Church. Okay. Every day is holy unto the Lord. Now, here is what happened to Israel, and here is what's hap happened to Israel or Israel in the in the wilderness. Many Christians today are doing exactly what the Israelites done in the wilderness. It is sad, but they fall away because their faith is not properly mixed with the Word of God. Now remember, everything the believer ever receives from God is based on faith. By faith you believe Jesus died for your sins. By faith, you receive the baptism and the Holy Ghost. Everything we receive comes by faith in God. So listen to the words of Paul, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short or having failed of it, for unto us was the gospel preached or evangelized, as well as unto them, the Israelites. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed or not assimilated with faith in them that heard it. You can hear the word of the Lord, but your faith must be activated to believe what you heard is the gospel truth. That's when the process of conversion begins. Once you're converted, you are then by the Holy Spirit of God baptized into the church, the body of Christ. Did you know there is no record in the New Testament of people ever joining a membership role of a church? That's man-made too. Well, if you're going to join our church, you've got to do this and this and this and this and this. I'm so glad when God saved me, he brought me in and not a man. You see, men say, you got to dance through this hoop. You got to jump through this hoop. You got to do this. You got to do that. That's why you see, by faith, we're saved. And by faith, we are baptized into the body of Christ. That's a spiritual baptism into his body. There's no evidence of it. There's no paper to prove it. There's none of those things. It's, again, by faith. God added to the church daily such as should be what? Such as should be saved. The church is the body of Christ, and because Christ is omnipresent in the Holy Ghost, he's everywhere, and the church can be anywhere and everywhere at the same time. Well, we have the Holy Ghost in our church. I don't know what other ones have. If they've got God, they got the Holy Ghost. 
If your faith, now listen to me closely, if your faith is not properly mixed with the Word of God, you will fail to partake of God's promises. Your faith must be correctly, properly assimilated, mixed with God's Word. This is why you have so many anemic preachers. I hear guys preach. They're not preaching. They're just talking. They're rambling. And they give no Bible at all. They just, oh, God's got the best for you, and you're going to have this, and your destiny, and you're going here, and you're going there, and you're, it's just all this stuff. But there's no, they're not preaching the Word. They're not preaching the Bible. Let me share that again. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let us therefore fear. What is the principal part of knowing who God is? You fear him. Proverb 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Where do I get my wisdom? Where do I get my instruction? You get it from the word of God. You don't get it from some man's pea brain. You get it from the word of the Lord. You can, you can aggregate and ascertain wisdom because you're spending so much time in the Word. Then your mind becomes wise. Your steps are wise. Your speech is wise. Everything about you is wise. Not a wise guy, but it's wise. Wisdom. You're very careful as to what you say, as to what you speak. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us that's me and you of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. So God gives the promise, thus and thus and thus, and if you don't believe that promise by faith, you're going to come short of what the promise says you can have. You, you can have this and this and this and this. But you're, it must be, it's based on your faith and what God has said, what God has spoken. You can receive that promise. You can receive eternal life through believing in Christ. You can be a part in the first resurrection and believing in Christ. You can receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit by believing in Christ. The gifts of the Spirit can operate in your life by believing in Christ. For unto us was the gospel preached. The gospel is Jesus, as well as unto them. Now, even though Jesus had not come, they were preached the gospel of the coming Messiah. So they were evangelized. We're evangelized, just as well as they were evangelized. But he said the word, Paul said the word preached unto them. It didn't profit them. Why? It was not properly mixed with faith when they heard it. It's one thing to hear the word. It's another to be a doer of the word. James 1.22, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. More people are going to be deceived, not only by others, but they deceive their own selves. They believe I can live like this and I can live like that, and I'm still going to heaven. I can curse, I can swear, I can get drunk, I can fornicate, I can commit adultery, I can be a, a, a sodomite, I can do all of these things, and I'm still going to be saved. Your faith is not properly mixed with the Word of God. Even as a backslider, I knew I couldn't enter into the kingdom of God like I was. 
I knew that. I didn't believe some lie, some rhetoric that, well, you're still saved. Yet the Bible says fornicators, drunkards, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you're a fornicator or an adulterer, you're not going to heaven unless you repent and get right with God concerning your sins. Uh, you're just too old school. Yeah, I reckon I am. Nothing's older than the Word of God, though, is it? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word is God. Nothing's older than the Word of God. Man's 6,000 years old. God is infinite. No beginning, no end. The Word always was. Nothing is older than the Word of God. And people will hear some Bible, but they will not properly mix their faith with that which they have heard. See, when you preach, you're justified by faith in what Jesus did. And if you don't believe that, you're not really saved. Oh, I'm saved because I, I did this and I did that. That's not what saved you. Jesus paid your debt of sin while he hung on the cross. You see, these Israelites didn't make it to the promised land. That whole generation died out. Think of that. They all died out. Why? They really didn't believe, though they saw the miracles. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Can you imagine having walked through the Red Sea and the salty mist of the briny waves and the moisture from the sea on their skins and they could taste the salt on their lips and they walked through the dry land and they got to the other side and somehow they forgot God. They forgot him. They forgot him. Jeremiah 2.32, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. People have the tendency to forget God. Can I tell you how you'll never forget God? There's two ways you will never, ever, ever forget God. Two simple things. If you'll pray and read your Bible every day, you cannot forget God. I'm, I'm consumed with God. You know, I get up in the mornings, I read my Bible, I pray, I commune, I talk to God. I got to. I got to make it. <laughs> you know, boy, the older I get, the quicker the days roll by. It won't be long and I'll be 70, and then 80, then 90, and only God knows after that. Hey, I may not make it that long. You know, life, the brevity of life is so, so short. My my dentist friend, things aren't looking good for him. But then my doctor friend I took my dentist to found out he has cancer. Squamous cell, same kind of cancer, except in a different part of his body. We, we don't know, folks. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I, I took my dentist to a friend that's a physician 
hoping he's going to help him. And then my physician friend, he gets sick. You don't think I live around negativity? Just four or five weeks ago, three suicides in one week, letters and emails. You know, sometimes we, 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 and I'm guilty, we're all guilty, we don't have empathy, sympathy for others, but they're going through some of the most tumultuous, tempestuous times, and we don't give it one ounce of consideration, not one ounce of consideration. You know, those of you who criticize me, mock me, castigate me, would you please take just one-tenth of that time and pray for me? Hey, I know I'm not perfect. I am not right on everything. I know that. I'll be the first to tell you. But I'll also be the first to tell you I am striving. I am contending to win the good fight. But some weeks I, I, I hear so much negativity I feel like I'm sometimes baptized into a barrel of negativity. Just, just I'm, I'm immersed. I'm baptized in it. And that's why I did the program I did yesterday. I, I said, some of you, Lord says, they, you need to encourage the people. Encourage them, people. We all need encouragement, don't we? How did David encourage himself? He encouraged himself in the Lord. If I didn't pray and read my Bible, I would get terribly discouraged. But I know my help, my source, it's not in men, it's in Christ. This is why our faith must be united with God's word. Our faith must be united with God's word. You got faith? Put your faith in God's word. Put your faith in what God has said. Men will say this and this and this and that. And then they lie, they cheat, they don't keep their words. Politicians never keep their words. You see, if our faith is not properly mixed or properly assimilated with the Word of God, we too will find ourselves unable to enter into His rest. That's why Israel couldn't make it in. They didn't keep the faith. If you keep the faith, your faith will keep you. Can my faith wane? Can my faith waver? Yes. But your faith can also grow. Your faith can be exercised. You can trust God more. I can trust God more. We all can trust God more. You know, it's, it's like people who've been in Catholicism and all the ritualism and all the do's and the don'ts and the, the, the Hail Marys and rosary and the, the just on and on and on and on and on, you know. They get out of that. They find the liberty, the freedom that is in Christ. Free from all of that. Thank God. One lady said in a letter some time ago, she said, I actually believe I prayed to Mary. I actually prayed to a dead woman. But that's what religion does to people. And then people, something novelty comes along. Oh, this is, this is better than what we got now. Nothing is better than Jesus. That's why you don't live under the law. 
If the law was more than enough, why does Paul say in Romans 8, 3, and what the law could not do? I'm keeping the Sabbath. I'm kosher. I don't eat pork. You cannot believe that's doing anything for you, can you? I reckon you do believe it. That's why you do it. And Paul said, I'm afraid of you. He told the Galatians, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. In other words, Paul says, you're frightening me. You're scaring me to think you got out of the law, you came to the knowledge of Christ, and you've got these Judaizers who come in and try to take you back. They they want to take you back into that. Galatians 5, verse 7 and 8, Paul said, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him who calleth you. Paul says, that's not God's persuasion. That's men's persuasion. Galatians 4, 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, How turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements where you desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe months and days and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. And what is he talking about? Days and months and time. I keep the Sabbath day. Paul said, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop that. Oh, I got baptized. I don't eat shrimp. I wouldn't eat a ham sandwich. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God. You've come to the knowledge of Jesus. How is it now that you know Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer, your Messiah? You turn again to the weak and beggarly elements. They're they're beggarly, meaning they're, they're, they're empty. Beggars have nothing to offer you. Jesus offered everything. He was in no position of a beggar. He was king. Lord of lords, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements where you desire again? You're going, if you're going that way, you're going the wrong way, going again where you desire again to be in bondage. In other words, Paul's telling you flat out, that stuff is taking you back into bondage. Good preaching today, preacher. Yes, because we're just telling the true, unadulterated truth of God's Word. How turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements where you desire again, again? What does that mean? You're going back and doing the same foolish things again. Where you desire again to be in bondage. It's bondage. Paul said, I'm afraid of you. Before he said that, he said, you observe days and months and times and years. Now, listen, I've said it before, I'll say it again. The Jewish feast never changed the dates in the sense they're always this particular time of the year. You've heard me explain that, the, the Hebrew calendar, every 2.7 years, you have to add a leap month to that year, and that month is called the Adar. It falls between Adar, the last month, Nisan, the first month of that year. So you got to put that month between those two months to, say, to stay synchronous on the Hebrew calendar. That's why some years, 
uh, we don't practice Easter, but some years it's in March, some years it's in April. See, look at Rosh Hashanah. Look at the calendar. Sometimes it's early September, sometimes it's late. That's, that's because of the change of the calendar. But Paul says, now you're going back again. You're observing days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Paul said, I'm afraid my labor has been vain. And that means empty and worthless. You know, I can tell people the truth and they'll turn and run right back to that dogma, that false tenet, that false doctrine that they once believed. They'll go right back and embrace it. And God set them free from that. If you're not careful, those of you who got free from Catholicism and you're going to embrace Judaism, if you're not careful, in a matter of time, you'll be back into Catholicism because that's what you were taught early on and you were brainwashed. And you go back again. How turn you again? That's when you when you do it again, you're going backwards. If you've never done it before, never went this way before, you're not doing it again. When you're doing it again, it's something you've already done. I know people that do this stuff. They actually believe, they actually believe doing the old stuff again, oh, that's that's really doing it. And here's here's the here's the human fragility in all of that is thinking I've got to do something myself to save me. Well, if you, you can do anything, I don't care if it's moving a grain of salt. If you can do anything to save yourself, Jesus died in vain. His death was worthless. If keeping the Sabbath would save you or keep you saved, Jesus died in vain. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. And that not of yourselves. There's nothing you can do. Don't ever say, I did this. Don't ever say, I did that. Now, I know we say that rhetorically. I'm talking about salvation. I've done a lot of things. You've done a lot of things. We've all done a lot of things. I'm talking about salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You didn't do anything. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. If I give you a $100 bill, that's free. That's a gift from me. What did a $100 bill cost you? It didn't cost you anything, nothing. But you're blessed by it because it will advance your life. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, people want an element of bragging rights in their lives that they somehow done something that saved them. I did this, I did that. Again, we've all done things. I'm specifically talking about anything relative to your salvation. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've done it. Whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, does not save you and does not keep you saved. 
It is the grace of God. It's the mercy of God. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he hath saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Paul said, there's nothing you can do. Though your works are righteous, they're the right things, they're the right way, they're the right truths, they're still not saving you. Jesus saved you. Jesus redeemed you. Jesus cleansed you, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. People think they've had some small part in their salvation by doing something. You're deceived. You are absolutely deceived. There's not a thing in this world you could ever do. I don't care how righteous the work, that does not save men. And the phrase there, which we have done, if you can do it, Jesus died in vain. If you can substitute any part of salvation through something that you can do, why didn't God say that's enough? And I think about all the hundreds of millions of gallons of blood that was shed under that Old Testament economy. I mean, we, we, we have no idea the gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of blood that was shed throughout those many years, and yet the, the, in, in, the, in the enormity of the bloodletting, it still didn't save anybody. Solomon offered 22,000 oxen. That's a lot of oxen. An oxen, we think there's a big distinction, but an oxen is nothing but a bull steer. They've eviscerated his masculinity. 22,000 oxen. And 120,000 sheep, 120,000 sheep. That was, that, that was shed in dedicating the new tabernacle, the, the, the tabernacle that Solomon built, the temple that Solomon built. Think of that. 144,000 animals. Now, I think that's relative, 144. 12 twelves is 144. 12 speaks of divine government. I, I just see the, the, the divinity and, and the offering, but I'm, I'm, I'm putting that aside and thinking about the enormity of the amount of blood. And this, this went on until the time of Christ, 4,000, almost 4,000 years, 3,500 years or so, somewhere in there. Even in, in early in Genesis, they were sacrificing. So it's after the encounter in a fallen state, man was not very long afterwards offering sacrifice. Noah made a sacrifice after he got off the ark. So thousands of years before Christ came, all that shed blood didn't save anybody. It was a type, it was a shadow, it was a prefigure of what was to come. Why am I telling you all of this? I'm trying to get you to understand there's nothing you can do to save yourself. 
if, if all of that bloodshed then didn't save anybody, what do you think something you do now saves you? Well, it doesn't. It just doesn't work. Now, I know that may disappoint you. I may that may, you know, make you feel bad. Not trying to make you feel bad, just trying to get you to understand. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do to save myself. As a matter of fact, we should be so thankful Jesus bore our sins. That's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He, he paid the price. He paid the price. And, and, and not only did he pay the price, he satisfied God's demand. You know, um, somebody breaks a piece of equipment or a tool or runs into your car and they, they, they tear your car up and the insurance company wants to make you whole. They got to pay the price. Jesus paid the price in full. There was nothing left undone, nothing left undone at the cross. The work was completely finished. He said, Father, it is finished. Thus, there have to be nothing added to this sacrifice. See, Though, though, though Solomon had 144,000 animals slain during the dedication of the tabernacle, that continued on. It never was enough to satisfy God's demand. But once Jesus came, shed his blood, the demand was completely, totally satisfied, and thus Jesus could say, it's finished. It's done. I have paid the penalty for sin's debt. I took on my body the iniquity of all. All. He bore the iniquity for all men. Now, a lot of people don't know that because they don't know the Bible. They, they don't know that Jesus paid that kind of a price for them. But I'll tell you, as I said a minute ago, when you hear the word and your faith is properly mixed with the word, then you understand Jesus did it. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Jesus paid my debt in its fullness. He satisfied what God demanded. Thus, Jesus had to be conceived by the Holy Ghost because it took sinless blood, blood that had no guilt, had no sin. And to think that you and I can be made just holy and free as though we were never, ever sinners. Now, I, I, that's hard for me to imagine. <laughs> as, as terrible a sinner as I was, Jesus would look at my record and say, what sin are you talking about? I don't see it here. It's gone. It's removed. Well, how in the world could it have gotten removed? By my precious blood. My blood cleanses you from all sin. Revelation 1.5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You say, that's gruesome, that's gory. Yeah, that's why you don't hear Joy preach about the blood. Don't preach about Calvary. As I said, I think, two weeks ago, we need a new gospel. 
If you ever come to the state and the place you believe you need a new gospel, you're going to have to have a new Savior. The gospel doesn't change. It's the same as it's always been. God bless you. Spend time in his presence. Don't forget our revival meeting in Fort Mill, South Carolina at Heritage USA, September the 30th through October the 3rd. Come, go to our website and register. Be a part of this great, great meeting. And I certainly believe, coupled with a divine visitation from God. God bless you. I'll see you Monday. In the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.